I look back and I'm thinking, was that was I that shallow? You know, but I was. I was in active addiction. I was using. I was doing nothing for myself spiritually at all, at all. I was putting chemicals in my body every day. You know, trying to be somebody that I wasn't. You know, and today, who you see today is who I am. You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 113, The Recovery Defense, featuring Scotty Higginbotham, Business Development Outreach Coordinator with American Addiction Centers. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. One of the great gifts that this Find the Good News podcast has given me is a platform to reconnect with people. We all meet people in our lives through businesses, groups, events, and other gatherings. And if you're like me, you may never get that opportunity to connect again outside of those collectives. Find the Good News has opened old doors and made seats at the table of conversation. And I feel lucky to have this resource to reconnect in a meaningful way. My guest in episode 113, Scotty Higginbotham, the Business Development Outreach Coordinator for American Addiction Centers, is one of those people. It had been almost a decade since I'd met Scotty, and almost as long since we'd spoken. At first blush, his job title and professional affiliation indicated that he was the type of guest that listeners would appreciate. What I discovered in taking this conversational journey is that the path he tread to his role with American Addiction Centers was not without his own addiction challenges and ongoing recovery practices. What Scotty shares is honest and undiluted, a true portrait of what addiction looks like, how it affects human beings on the ground, those that love them, and the true face of those that meet our brothers and sisters, offering a hopeful hand in what is often their greatest moment of despair. He tells his story without pruning the details, leaving the thistles and thorns that sting. In my opinion, he must tell it this way so others, those he helps through his role, understand that he sees them because he has been them. This visit is a reminder for me that there are people, like Scotty, who are on call and ready to help those in the stranglehold of addiction, no questions asked. Now, Take some time to really let your heart and mind consider the power addiction has over so many of those we all love. Remembering that even in their darkest moments, there are helpers in recovery that are reaching out. Then press play on a little good news. Wake up, it's morning. You're dreaming up a story I can hear. The way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep path to your deliverance and a holy wall of light pouring through your window old news bad news fake news sometimes you just want to shut it all down and get no news at all with find the good news i aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work i visit with artists educators civic and spiritual leaders musicians business owners students volunteers and everyday citizens who are using their creativity resources and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world in each episode i dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives, discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm going to find the good. And I love you just as well. 
Yeah, I've already had to jumpstart my car this morning. <laughs> I didn't bring my hair product. I had to go buy a new battery. Oh my had, gosh. Yeah, and I, I've never jumped a battery before in my life. I mean, come on. I'm, what? I'm too gay for that shit. Or, <laughs> I pride myself on being a re- reputable homosexual. So, uh, uh, yeah, I took pictures for my friends so they would know. They know it actually happened. It huh? actually happened. It actually happened. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, if I don't have to jump a car battery twice a month, then I'm not living my life. It's always somebody got some kind of mechanical thing. Of course, I'm not mechanically inclined, but I've had to deal with a lot of it enough to figure it out. So... <laughs> Sorry you had that kind of morning, man. I know that vehicle troubles can throw your day off, like, right out the gate. No, I'm good now. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I got back to the hotel, changed rooms, so I'm good. Where are you at right now? You in Lake Charles? I'm in Baton Rouge. Oh, you're in Baton, Baton Rouge. Rouge. Right on. Yeah. So do you live in Baton Rouge, or do you live in Lake Charles still? No, I live in Lake Charles. <laughs> um, I work for American Addiction Center. We have treatment centers all over the country. Gotcha. Um, so I kind of do marketing. Gotcha. Um, kind of marketing, but I, I work with um, I work with hospitals and psych units and um, judges and the court system, you know, trying to, to link people with the, the right, you know, the right treatment program so right. they could, so they could, you know, be successful in recovery. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was reading about, um, about that organization, trying to get my head around what it is, you know, before we talked and that, that was kind of what I wanted to talk about today. You know, it seems like it's a pretty broad sc- scope because addiction is kind of a broad umbrella, you know, immediately you hear addiction and you think, Drugs or alcohol, I mean, or substance, but there's all kinds of addictions. Oh yeah, and you all, you and you think of the little crack lady in the ditch, you know, like I did in in 1986. You know, I saw on the Tom Brokaw, I don't know, it was Tom Brokaw or somebody on the NBC Nightly News. I think I was a junior in high school. I saw this little old lady in a ditch in California, in L.A. And they said this is the face of crack cocaine. Well, I did everything in the world but crack cocaine because my fear was I was going to be a little old lady in a ditch. Oh you yeah. Know? Yeah, I'll stick needles in my arm and shoot everything into my body, but I wouldn't do crack. I mean, just the, the yeah. visions, the, the, you know, our, our our value system is so intertwined in 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 our in our our adult, you know, our younger adulthood. You know, it's it's, it's crazy. No, crazy. I get that totally. You you just said something, and I know this is going to sound really crazy, but. I always tell people this. I always tell them like, you got to watch what you're telling little kids. You know. And I know adults that are my age that don't give a shit about that, man. I mean, they don't care. They'll say anything in front of a kid. But I really do believe, knowing my own memory, and I say it that only from my own experience, I have a long memory. I mean, I can remember things that will blow my mom's mind. Like, she's like, how do you remember that? I'm like... I maybe don't know what I'm even remembering sometimes. I don't have the context, and it takes me a while to figure it out. But I bring that up because when I was in grade school, they had this thing. It was like, a, I don't remember, in my mind, I want to call it, say it was like Kid Cats or something like that. It was like an anti-drug or anti uh, or a drug awareness thing that they would do in the schools. And one time they came to my elementary school, I couldn't have been four in the fourth grade, third grade, something like that. And they were telling us this story about a girl who had been addicted to something. And I can't remember what it was, but in my mind, in my child's mind, it was like drugs, right? And she had been doing pretty good. And then her parents felt good enough to leave her home by herself. And Scotty, this is what they told us next. Now, I can't even imagine why they thought this was okay to tell kids. But they said, 
when they got home, she had clawed her eyes out. Okay. Now, that sounds insane, right? I don't know what, and I have no context as to what that was. I just remember it was an assembly at school. That, to this day, I know that, like, put a a thing in my head. Like, I would, I laid in bed and equated, like, drug use with that. With clawing your eyes out. With clawing your eyes out. And, I mean, I'm I'm not making light of it. Like, it was a terrifying thing to me. And so... That I don't know. As a little kid, I carried that around and never really questioned that, right? Even into, like, adulthood, until I started looking back, I went, you know, that one assembly and that one image was so such a wedge in my brain that it terrified me off of almost e- even, like, painkillers of any kind. Like, just a regular over-the-counter thing would freak me out because I was like... Yeah, that's that 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 built-in fear that yeah that it was gonna yeah that's crazy. Yeah. But it goes yeah. again to what you're saying, like that image of that lady, you know, in the, the the ditch. I mean, it's like that becomes like this iconic thing that gets stuck in someone's head, and and it, you you hinge yourself to it. While meanwhile, you got a string ta- attached, walking around it through every other addiction that's out there, but thinking that oh, that's that's what addiction looks like. That is addiction, not what I'm yeah. doing, right? You know. But it's okay to shoot MDMA and put the cat in the dryer. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. okay. I'm gonna smoke crack, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I totally get it. That's crazy. So, I mean, obviously there's a story here. I mean, usually when people are throwing somebody's name in front of me, they're going, hey, you need to talk to this person. And that's what happened with you. And I, I get the impression that they've listened to the show and that they they know that there's a story there, which really hopefully will uh, touch someone and or maybe move the needle for them. And. I just get the impression that there's a path there for you, right? I mean, you're working in addiction and recovery now, but I mean, what what's the story? What's the path to that? The path for me was, um, you know, and I think what struck me with um, with with you and your family is, you know, your son's battles, yeah, you yeah. know, with homophobia and stuff like that. Because I, I mean, I'm I'm 58 years old, and you know, I came out when I was 16 back in the early 80s and you know that was very very difficult to do back then um and i came out really loud really angry um and i started using drugs at a really early age um because some sexual abuse but also um just because everything that i was taught in the church everywhere i was i was wrong i was going to hell so in my mind like you're clawing the eyes i remember in church one day you know i was going to hell so that stuck with me so i was going to hell on a sunday by the time it got to Thursday, I was okay. You know, Saturday I was sinning, and then Sunday I was going back to hell again. So it was like this, this right. vicious. They went on for years until I was actually I was asked to leave the Baptist church. Oh, cool. um, okay. I was going to ask you like what particular uh, thread it was in. Yeah, it was. It was actually it was Trinity Baptist when they were on Ryan Street downtown, and we were David Hankins. Um, actually asked my family to leave the church. Told really? my mother she had to rebuke me. Yes. Wow. And we were in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, every Tuesday for Trinity Union, every Wednesday for Wednesday church, on Thursdays for G- um, Royal Ambassadors. I mean, I couldn't play with kids that weren't Baptists. So it was crazy. Right. So, so my, the way I was able to cover up those feelings of guilt and shame and, you know, that I was going to hell and I was a failure as a, as a, as a boy, you know, yeah. was to, you know, I started using chemicals at a really, really young age. And, 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 and I fell in love. I fell in love with that feeling. You know, and and um, then it got to the point where I couldn't stop. 
you know, I was always the class clown. So I was making everybody laugh and blah, 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 you know. Um, but what I was doing, and I still do that to this day, I, I, I keep people at bay with my laughter. I get it. I understand. You know? Yeah. L- let me make you laugh so you don't see who I really am. And you right, don't see the right. And that hurt. Um, so I, and I started using chemicals at a really young age. And, it, um, and, and my story gets really dark for a point and it gets better then it gets dark and it gets better um i've, I've been clean now for seven years congratulations um, thank you um i had i had about 15 years and then i relapsed for about 10 years and then i've been back now for about seven years and and and, and what i do today on a daily basis is i send a gratitude list every morning i talk to a sponsor every day i reach out to a recovering addict every day um my job is is to help is to help people you know find some kind of path, whatever that is. It may not be with American Addiction Center, but it may be with somebody else or some another agency. Um, and, and gratitude, um, I, I, heard a, um, I heard a speaker whenever I was in treatment, he said, gratitude doesn't relapse. Mm. You know, grateful, grateful doesn't relapse. So that to me has been the crux of my recovery is just when I, when I can stay in gratitude, whatever that is, um, uh, it's, it's unlikely that I'm going to go search for something outside of myself because I'm okay with where I am today. Yeah. You know, like I see a lot of your, your pictures and your, you know, with you and your wife going canoeing and paddling last weekend and seeing all the, you know, that, that was destruction that you guys, all that destruction you guys saw on the river, but it was beautiful. Right. You know, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It shows, it shows our culture and it shows the strength where we come from as a community, you know, and the recovery community has that kind of, has that kind of base as well. We really, really, um, we really hold each other accountable and we hold each other up, you know, and, and I'm so grateful. I'm, I've got a narcotics anonymous. That's my thing. You know, it, it works for me. Um, I go every day. I talk to a sponsor every day. Um, and I stay grateful, you know, um, I don't want to get back to that dark place where I was, where putting a gun to my head was okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was, I was, I had a gun to my head. And I was writing my goodbye letters um, in, in, by, by the Kasachi Forest. And my niece said, where are you? Where are you? Um, and, and I went to treatment that day. Was that, that, was, that was the big change? Was that a huge that change? Yeah, yeah. And, and now, I mean, if you see the baby pictures of me on Facebook, you know, those, um, those are her two babies. You know, there's a five-year-old yeah. and a nine-month-old. I mean, those kids are my life. And, and if she tells me every day, if you use just one time, just one time. You will never see those kids again. That's a wrap. You know, yeah, yeah. they're redheaded. They're the precious things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So that that gives me strength every day to keep doing what I'm doing, and and it, and it also helps that I work for an organization that supports that kind of growth and supports that kind of um, ingenuity in our own lifestyle. You know, um, a lot of our programs that we offer are um, are, um, are are based in based they're, they're theory based. But there also there's a spiritual component to everything that we do, you know. And there's also um, there's a lot of autonomy in our programs. And you know we've got ropes courses, we've got um, equine therapy, we've got um, I never can say this word right, labyrinth, a labyrinth. Yeah, that, yeah, okay. A, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, those things are awesome to like to have that process and you know go to the middle and then come go back out and, and walk that journey and, and, and you know looking at the twelve steps and looking at your character defects and and looking at what really hurts and and why what you know why do we do what we do you know let's figure out why we do what we do so we can tackle the issue right and then we can figure out you know in a spiritual manner how to how to how how to put something in place where we're not going to go back to that malady. 
Yes. You know, to that spiritual malady. You know? Yes. Yeah. Scott, I, everything you're saying right there, well, you're just really getting into it for me. I'm That sucks me in because that is exactly what I think we need to do as a world. I mean, just in every culture, we need to dig into I'll even say it like this. I mean, maybe this is a segue, but, you know, I I can – this is going to be a strange segue based on what you said. Let me just think about how I want to say this. (laughs) Well, because I talk a lot about patriotism, American patriotism, a lot. And, you know, I think there's a misconception on what I often mean like that by by it because I am anti-war. You know, I'm not – I am – a hundred percent for preserving our environment and our resources. I am all about multiculturalism, you know, and elevating everybody together. Uh, and that's not seen as patriotism in America these days, right? I don't think it is, not by many. I think there's a, an idea that if you're a patriot, then you need to be uh, a gun-toting, war-supporting, you know, environment plundering homogenous human being and that's just not who i am it's a patriot it's not a patriotism it's a patriot it's a, right exactly I've, I've taken to calling that like a faux patriot you know it's not really what we're really about it's what we it's the colors that we fly out in front and it's this idea that i just reject completely and it gets into what you're talking about and for me patriotism is going into and maybe I'm maybe it isn't patriotism but for me patriotism is looking at our history honestly and like going into the the dark places and walking through that labyrinth and going hey we got we're here's here's where we're at today and how we got here was pretty dark There's a lot of atrocities, a lot of genocide, a lot of murder, a lot of plunder, a lot of death, and a lot of systematic oppression and pain. We have to look at that stuff and talk about it openly and honestly if we're ever going to go forward and build something better. And I believe in the building something better. But I hope and pray, I, I really do, I, I teach this to the boys too, I tell them that's, that's the idea of patriotism that I talk about in this, in this home. For this country and for this world is we have to do those things. We can't just say, well, you know what, the past is dead and let's just forget all those things and move, move on, move forward. I'm like, no, there are, there's, to me, we have to make reparations with ourselves and with society and with the with the ancestral ancestors that um, have come after all the people that have been hurt to get where we're at today. And I guess in the in a big scope, I mean, getting into what you're talking about, that's what I, I hear when you're saying those things about going into that place and understanding where it all comes from. You know, that's a hard process that so many of us just don't want to do. Well, what? And and, and and I and I get that, and and I think that the, the two things that I thought about um, while you were speaking, one was we have lost so many people from overdose, mm. so many young people, and like I mean young, like eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one, twenty two, like crazy. Um, and there's this one particular family, like Charles, um, she adopted two daughters, um, both had different from different different places. Um, and I've, I've, <clears throat> I've carried both of her daughter's caskets in the last three years. One of them was a month ago, and one, um, her, her first daughter, who died three years ago, about three and a half years ago, was one of my best friends in the world. And I carried her casket. She overdosed. Um, 
probably two hours after she turned in her last paper to get her master's in social work from LSU, you know, and her son went across the stage and was able to get her diploma. But the, the atrocity there is we don't talk about it anymore. We don't, we don't talk about that life. We don't talk about what got to that process. So how do we, how do we help the next addict out there that's suffering? How do we help the next family member that's trying to get out of, um, uh, you know, sexual slavery in the home or, Our kids that are being sold as, as sex slaves are, you know, how do we make reparations not only to ourselves, but to these to these these people? You know, how do I how do I um, how do I talk about my experience as a drug addict without talking about that dark place, without talking about the fact that I was molested at six, that it was a family member that I was forced to go on vacations with, that I was forced to sleep in a bed with for years and years and years. And then it all got turned around on me. And then I go to church and the church tells me to hush to be quiet, you know, the one place in this world that I'm told to trust, I can't trust. Right. So so what do I do? I'm going to reach out for something outside of myself to make myself feel okay because no, it was, it was not safe anywhere for me. Yeah. For me. And I'm not a victim at all. I don't play a victim. I have worked through my stuff. My, my, the power that I have today in that stance is to help other people. Right. Right. Whatever I totally that is, get that. Yeah, whatever that is, and, and a lot of the stuff that you're talking about when you talk about patriotism are the steps of Narcotics Anonymous. You know, I accept that I'm an addict. I turn my care, my will, and my life over to the care of God as I understand Him. I work steps. I looked at I look at my character defects. I make amends, and then I practice those principles in all my affairs. What you described were the twelve steps of Narcotics Anonymous. That's how. I make reparations. That's how I, I, I serve my community. I serve my group. I do service work, not only Narcotics Anonymous. I do service work at home. I do service work with my family. You know, it, it doesn't just stick to just one genre in my life. It's a it's a culture. Yeah, right, it's, right. It's holistic. I mean, it's a, it's in every aspect. Yeah, yeah. That that's definitely something. It's like the, my wife and I were talking about this. You know, the old the idea of a summer soldier and a winter soldier, and yeah. or uh, fair weather friends. You know, I mean, we're so it's so easy. One of my last guests actually brought this up. She called it enlightenment. You know, because she experiences that in uh, an area where she lives, and she said, you know, it's this sort of almost toxic fake spirituality that we get to practice outside of um, the real trials and tribulations of life. It has nothing to do with ordinary everyday sufferings of common people. You know, it it almost like avoids that it elevates and it protects and it puts you in a bubble. And I feel that way sometimes about Sundays, you know, I've often kind of observed on Sunday morning, I'll sit outside and be working in my garden and watching the birds and I'll, I'll see people. My street is a cut through to a church and the people that fly down my street at 55 miles an hour to hurry up and get to, to the service. And I've often kind of pondered and even halfway joked as like someone's going to end up in a coffin and at church in a whole different way, trying to get to church on Sunday. And I think that's sort of, the type of spirituality that I think is very dangerous. It's like, you know, it's only for this day. It isn't holistic. It doesn't have fingerprints all over our everyday lives and infect all or not infect, but elevate all the parts of our lives together and, and work in, in different dimensions. It's just this isolated um, Sunday show. And I just have no interest in that. Yeah. We call it hurry up and pray, hurry up and pray. Yeah. <laughs> right. <Hurry> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful today that I have a God of my own understanding. It's not yours. Right. It's not my mother's. It's not anybody. It's mine. And I'm so grateful because for years I was atheist. For years I was atheist. Huge atheist. And because there's no way I was put here to suffer like I did. 
Interesting. You know, then, then someone told me, said, do you think you're the only one? Come on. Boom. Yeah. You're not it. You are not it. You are not the almighty. You do not control anything, period, you know, about your life. And I'm just like, Ugh. you know, yeah. but I, I understand do that. that. You, don't. you don't at all. Yeah, at all. So the universe is my higher power for me. You know, collectively, you and your wife can make a better decision sometimes than I can on my own. You know, a group of people can make a, a you know, and, and I call it the good hands of state, you know, state farm or whatever. <laughs> all <is>. state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right, right. You know? I'm not a doctor. When my appendix came out, I went to a doctor. You know, when, when, when someone needs treatment, they call me. You know, when someone needs spiritual guidance, they may call you. I mean, it's totally, you know. That's a good point. We all have our expertise, you know. I don't I don't know how to jump a car. I don't know how to, you know, do any of that stuff. I had to go find someone to do it for me. Yeah. Yeah, like that's one of the things I think that attracted me to – I've talked about this a lot on this show, so I'm sure the listeners are sick of hearing about it. But was what attracted me to Buddhism was the idea that it dealt directly with suffering. It wasn't trying to – kid me about it you know i mean life is suffering suffering sickness old age and death these are going to happen to all of us you know we're not no one's exempt from that and that there's a path that can deal with those things and it's a very clear course of actions you know and i I liked that i was like okay this addresses the world as it is not as the world as i want it to be it doesn't kid me it doesn't paint it another color it doesn't tell me to ignore it it says no this is the reality that you face um how much you suffer within that reality a lot has to do with these actions that you take and what you think and so i liked that it was very um malleable too it was something i could practice and apply but then the other thing that you said that it reminded me of too was the idea of the bodhisattva you know that appears in the world as what is needed you know wherever there is suffering this being appears as what is needed not uh not one being that is uh, has one recipe or one elixir for everyone it's unique to each person's situation and i like that idea i like the idea that that's going to arrive and take the form that it needs to take that's a beautiful thing to me it meets people where they're at you know it doesn't, and, and, you know, like when, whenever um, whenever someone comes to treatment at American Addiction Center, what we do is we come to them and meet them where they are. Mm. Like I know in Greenhouse in Dallas and in River Oaks and in, 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 I think it's in Tampa, Florida, they have they have a, a, a specialty spiritual track that's there. And they have a gentleman that doesn't identify with any specific religion. So like he has like this library of wealth and this library of books and, and therapies that he pulls out and, you know, kind of um, – and kind of makes it to whatever somebody needs it because you, you because a lot of times when people get into recovery they get religious you know yeah, they i've want seen to, that yeah yeah and it's very dangerous very dangerous it's just hyper religiosity just scares the hell out of me anywhere um anything hyper um so what, what 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 i've heard that he does that he actually will bring somebody to where they need to be you know before they get out the door so before they get out the door they've got a really they've got a really good kind of um idea of where they stand so when they walk out the door and they see they meet their family again they go back to work whatever they're 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 centered you know and there's not a lot of guilt and there's still guilt and shame but it's not so enormous when somebody because when you're in treatment you're cloistered you know you are in a in a bubble for the most part um and then when you walk out the door you know we need to make sure that, that, that we prepare these people to walk out that door and to be able to hold their head up high because that's just the beginning of a long 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 journey you God, know? it's so interesting the parallel you just said and i brought i brought this up recently with another guest i read a book 
about a, a Tibetan monk who, um, you know, he was one of the refugees from from Tibet when China invaded originally. He was a young boy. And so he grew up in the monastic lifestyle. You know, he was raised to be a monk. And when he finally came to the United States, as Tibetan Buddhism started to get over, you know, integrate over here, like in Boulder and other places, New York and centers like that, he uh, came over to be a teacher and he fell into addiction. You know, and he said that that cloistered lifestyle had not prepared them for all of the temptations of American lifestyle. He said it was just they were not ready because they were in a bubble. You know? No, it wasn't yeah. realistic. You know, he had all this wisdom and spiritual knowledge that he was going to come teach, but he he himself was not prepared for what America was about to present to him. And, it, and a lot of teachers fell into addiction and, and other, you know, ailments like that. It also goes to, to like the disease aspect of addiction. You know, it's a disease. It's a disease of the mind, spirit, and body. So a lot of people that have not used for many, many, I, I know I know a number of people that didn't start using until they were 40, 50 years old. Really? You know, oh, yeah. And, and, and all of a sudden, bam, they just picked it up just like that. So just like that, that young man that came over here, he didn't know that he probably had a predisposition for a, addiction for whatever. You know, he didn't know that. Um, Interesting. That, yeah. Okay. And, and that's where the, the education part comes in. And that's what we do as well at American Addiction Center to make sure people leave with just a really, really good understanding of what addiction is, what their triggers can be. You know, so when they get into new situations or they get into, um, you know, because we send somebody out and they have no idea what recovery is, if it's their first time, you know, or somebody like me that had been to treatment five times needed. I needed I, I didn't I didn't need what you would need as a first timer. I needed something different. You know, I needed somebody who was a chronic relapser who had relapsed for years and who couldn't because I, I didn't have a problem getting clean. I had a problem staying clean. Right. You could do the work and then get back to, you know, whatever your baseline is. But then you knew it was almost like there was going to come a time and you was like, hey, I'm going to hit a point where sure. yeah. hit my relapse point. It's a I reservation. Need, yeah. I had a reservation the whole time. And today, hopefully I don't have any. You know, today I don't. I may have one tomorrow, but today I don't. You know, but 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 that's that's the core of, of, of that of, of that of that addictive process, you know, and that obsession and compulsion. You know, I can obsess over anything I want to, but in, until I act on it, that's when the problem happens. Mm-hmm. So I need to make sure that I am that, that that I am grounded spiritually and mentally on a daily basis, so I don't act on that obsession. I can go and want to have sex with seventeen different people today, but as long as I don't act on it, I'm good. Or I'll, if I want to go, you know, shoot dope or drink or whatever, I can obsess about it. But when it comes out of my mouth and I say, hey, Oren, I really want to use today, that leaves, it's gone. It's there. You know, it's yours now, not mine. Longtime Find the Good News listeners know that we often meander into topics on spirit, mysticism, religion, and wisdom traditions. If you are interested in these topics, I encourage you to seek out my new podcast, The Dawn Deacon with Brother Oren. On The Dawn Deacon Podcast, I consider my small place in the whole of creation, asking the old questions that have perplexed human beings for ages. Why are we here? Is there a reason for our existence? How do we balm our sufferings? enlighten our minds, and awaken our hearts. Are there powers, energies, and realities just beyond our ability to comprehend them? On the Dawn Deacon podcast, I share the teachings, practices, and perspectives I have gathered 
as I've made my varied, sacred, ordinary way. I hope you'll join me at the Dawn Deacon Podcast so that we can traverse this landscape together. Just search The Dawn Deacon with Brother Oren in your favorite podcast app or search engine, then subscribe. Yeah, that so that that brings in the accountability partner type aspect, right? I mean, I'm maybe that's not the right word, but uh, sure. having people that you can call, that you can contact, that you can touch in with every day is that a huge part of it? Most definitely. Uh, and I have a sponsor who's got 34, 35 years clean. He's in New Orleans. The guy's um, brilliant. I mean, when he talks, I just go, you know, I want what he has. I actually want what he has. So when he asked me, when he makes a suggestion, you need to read the language of letting go. You need to read that. You know, you're getting some, you're getting some codependency stuff with some of your, I'm going to read it. He asked me to work step something or read a tradition or I do it, you know, because whatever he has done for the last 35 years has gotten him to where he is today. You know, whatever you've done for the last 20 years has gotten, you know, the last, I guess, I mean, I think I, when I first met you, it was like seven years ago, right when I was getting clean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was so, going to ask you if you remembered that because we were, it was the okay. Proto Arts and Humanities or something like that, wasn't yeah, it? We, we, we went to Joe's. You took us to Joe's and you brought your son. The yeah. In high school now, he was in, he was in a, a musical, he was in a musical. I think he was in sixth grade. Yeah. He was in. He was in a musical. Um, yeah, I remember, yeah God, I remember, man, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, me and Erica McCready and that's yeah, right. Yeah, 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 I wasn't there very long. Yeah, that was just kind me of me either. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to put it together. I was like, where did we connect at? Because I remembered your name, and I know we'd met, but I just couldn't remember. And I thought, I think I, I was going through my mind, going, yeah, I think it was Arts and Humanities, and it was I was on the board for a little while there. I think uh, just yeah, for one one year. I still have your um your um your orange cup. Your oh, do orange you? Yeah, those cup. are all over yes. the place. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. So, but some of that stuff, and you know, and that brings me to like, you know, why? Like, so when I saw your picture, and I kind of saw you on Facebook a couple times, and you know, I'm like, hey, you know, what is he doing? You know, yeah. because we attract one another. You know, we 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 attract who we want to be with, and who we want to be like, and who. It's true. You know, so you know, I, you know, I was looking at some of your stuff, and I'm like, what? I, let me follow him for a minute, you know, um, because still like, well, I don't know what you said earlier, like the white-ism, the whitewash. Oh, yeah, the enlightenment. The, in, enlightenment. I'm going to use that too. My friends are going to kill me. I love me. it, yeah. Um, <laughs> I live off Shelby's Drive. You know, I live in the whitest neighborhood in Lake Charles. You know, there is not nothing. It's just white, you know. And and sometimes I feel guilty because I live there, you know, and, and when I relapsed this last time, I was playing tennis at the racket club, no black members. I was the only gay member there for a long time. My partner and I were, you know, um, and, 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 I, and so when I look around now and I'm thinking, look what I miss, I miss my friends, but I don't miss, I don't miss the, um, the judgment and I don't miss the snootiness and the, um, the, just all that fake stuff. You I know? get it. And, totally get it. Yeah. I, and, and I look back and I'm thinking, was that was I that shallow, you know, but I was I was in active addiction. I was using I was doing nothing for myself spiritually at all, at all. I was putting chemicals in my body every day, you know, trying to be somebody that I wasn't, you know, and today who you see today is who I am. Yeah, maybe, maybe get a little chubby, get a little older, 
Everything's falling, but that's I'm okay. I'm in that club. <laughs> yeah, everything's falling. You know, everything is falling. You know, <laughs> so, I'm not going to go into details, but you know, <laughs> I do you know, know what you mean. Yeah, oh my god. Yeah. So, uh, but today, because 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 I've been able to look at, I've been able to look inside with the help of others. Kind of what you talked about a moment ago. I've been able to identify the stuff that 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 could that can come back up. Right. You know, but if I don't have a healthy foundation of recovery, then I have no defense. Yeah. I have no defense at all. And that's a lot of the stuff that we do at, with American Addiction Center. We use a lot of um, equine therapy and horse therapy at our Oxford, Mississippi campus. Um, the horse becomes your therapist. Interesting. And it's the most beautiful. If you've ever seen it, go go look. Um, um, if you look on Oxford o- Oxford Treatment Center's website, we have an equine therapy session. This one girl, this this young lady that's there, that's running it now, just did her um, her, her got her PhD on using um, uh, on the the stress relief and in, 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 in treatment and how people are able to, and did some long term study did, did some you know and she got some some great results showing you know how the horse is your therapist and that you know and, and how that process has is, is really kind of bumps up you know the i i don't know i'm trying to say success rate or something yeah one example that i saw um renee jordan is she's a she's a a, has been an addiction counselor here for years and was a art teacher at barb and she's an equestrian um she used to do equine therapy at new beginnings where i worked in lake charles and she put she put the horse we had we had one client that was having a horrible time horrible times um so we put the horse in the middle and we put everybody around the horse where the horse couldn't get through. She dropped the reins. That horse went straight for that one kid and stood right in front of him. Wow. We asked everybody to just take a step back, took a step back. The horse went with the kid, went with the kid, went with, all the way to the point where the horse could have gotten out of that circle any moment. You know, But nobody knew what was going on except the two of us. So that horse knew in that circle, the one person that was struggling the most, and that was one of the most prolific instances of, of, of equine therapy that I've ever seen. And we do that kind of stuff there. And it's just, it's, and it's just awesome, you know, and that kid has done really, really well. That kid is clean. Um, he's, he's the last I heard, it was like six months ago. I heard he was, you know, I saw him in a meeting, you know, and, and, and I mean, it's just, it's that, that kind of stuff's amazing to me. And we yeah. offer that yeah that's actually really incredible man i mean what you're talking about right there gets into relationship you know the the value and not just relationship with creatures but also even relationships with places you know i I would say well you were describing that i was thinking about a place that really soothes me and i'm not not in like a vacation type of way but in a place that really allows me to heal some of those broken pieces or, or look at them in honest, in honest, open light, um, in without judgment, and it's no people around necessarily, but the place itself functions like you're describing. It, it's almost like I get the sense that the place knows. I know that may sound strange, but I feel like the place knows when I'm coming and when I need to kind of take a bath in that healing environment because uh, I do. I mean, we all do. I mean, maybe it's not addiction, but it's definitely recovery. Oh, sure. It Does that make sense? Most definitely. Oh, most definitely. I mean, recovering from a broken marriage or a broken relationship or an eating disorder or, you know, sexual trauma or, or any of that kind of stuff. We all have our, we, we all can find our, our, 
our happy place, so they say, you know, yeah. you know, that, that one place that I can go to in my mind where I'm, I'm, I'm just okay. Yeah. I'm just okay. And that goes back to the first time I ever went to treatment. There was a tech, I, I was, I went to treatment in 1986 or 87 in Seattle, Washington. And there was this tech there that he used to do guided meditation. He was so ugly, Oren. I mean, just butt ugly. I mean, that man was so <laughs> ugly. But let me tell you, he had the most soothing voice. And he made me a cassette before I left. And of course, cassettes, you know how long that's yeah, yeah. been. <laughs> and I don't know where it is. I, mean, I couldn't even play it anyway. But, but, but he got me to a place where I still go to today. You know that that's that's my safe place. Yeah. And when I get really stressed and 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 really and really just just I, I just can't settle myself down. I close my eyes and, and I can go there just like that now because I know exactly what it looks like. I know the number of steps. I can hear the water. I can hear the, the you know the water hitting the beach. I know what the house looks like. I know what it smells like. You know, and and and, and that stuck with me. Kind of what you we, what we talked about earlier. I mean, I was only there for like. 30 days but you, you can know? still touch that oh my gosh yes. yeah oh yeah i understand I mean, it was, that it was so healing for me it was just very cathartic you know and i still go there you know and we offer a lot of that stuff we offer the guided meditations and you know the places are gorgeous and i mean it doesn't hurt that it's pretty you know like in oxford mississippi it's 150 acres you know we've got a um we've got a recovery walk a 12-step walk um that's um in a ropes course that was that's specific to 12 steps and to specific to you know EDMR therapy and trauma resolution, um, we do um, we do that with veterans. We have a veterans and a first responders program really? at three of our programs. Most definitely, yeah. And those are so in, those the ropes course, the labyrinth, and those are so instrumental in, in, in rebuilding that that inner that inner core and that inner peace that people had before all that trauma started. You know, we have to we have to get back there. But you've got to, like you said earlier, we've got to walk through the dark stuff, you know, to, to get to that, that little light that was there before. Yeah. Um, and and that's what we do there. And and we have, you know, master's level prepared therapists. I mean, they're just uh, they came to me. I didn't go to them. You I know? was going to ask. That was going to be one of my next questions. Yeah, one of their employees put threw my name in, and they found me. They came to me and asked me to apply, and I did because I wasn't. I, I was fine. I mean, I was I was doing what I love to do, and you know, I went and visited a couple of these places. I've seen them. I've been there. Um, you know, I looked at a lot of their data. You know, looked looked at a lot of their. Um, you know, and it's been rough lately with the hurricane, and you know, sure. cause a lot of my closed down, and you know, but they've supported me in my process as well. You know, and most companies won't do that. You know, they're like, Scotty, you're okay. You're going to get there. You know, you're, you're okay. You know, just we do it one day at a time. We just do this one day at a time, you know. Um, and, and I believe in their values and their culture, and they support employees. Um, they were really great during the pandemic. They offered, you know, all their employees. You know, we worked from home for almost a year. Um, and that was really hard to do. We couldn't get into hospitals. We couldn't get in anywhere. Um, and, you know, they, they provided uh uh, counseling sessions and online zoom meetings for for 12-step meetings you know led by employees um so it's cool it's really it, the, the the work culture there is really um is is, is significant i've never seen it before i mean Ever. ultimately you're trying to help people i mean live better lives and healthier lives you know and whole lives and that's and help them recover i mean i don't know that there's anything more noble than that right now on this planet really i mean between helping people and helping the environment to be stable and whole 
I mean, that's what we need to do, right? I mean, in other creatures, obviously, but those those three dimensions right there. I mean, if somebody's working in that capacity, then they're doing, then they're on the right path, in my opinion. I mean, that's really what I believe. Those are the three floats. I mean, the human, animal, other creatures, and this earth. I mean, we have to take care of those things. Of course. I mean, and if I can't take care of my own spirit, I can't help you with yours. Right. You know, and that's what I've learned recently. Is you, you know, I, I've got to, I've got to protect mine. Yeah. You have to have something to give away. That is so true and so difficult. I, I've been through that, you know, and I still go through it. And I, I, I can, I've become aware or more aware when I'm starting to deplete myself uh, because I tend to do that. I tend to run really hot and then burn myself out spiritually. Really, that's the truth. And I, um, I get a case of the sads. I don't think I get depressed anymore, but I definitely get a case of the sads where I, I just get sort of this sunken feeling like, okay, why, why am I even trying to help? There's so many problems, you know, and I can get just in a funk about it. And it's because I tend to put my foot down on the gas and drive till the wheels are about to fall off. And then I'm like, Oh crap, the wheels are falling off. I need to chill out because I'm getting depleted. But then I get a case of that sort of the blahs, you know, and that's what gratitude list. I wake up grateful. I go to bed grateful. It's really hard to have a bad day when you wake up grateful. It, it, it really is. I mean, and I try really hard sometimes. I mean, I could have, like, I had to jump my car this morning. I didn't bring any hair products with me, so I had to go buy. I mean, you know. It, yeah. I get it, man. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm relatively high maintenance, so it's rough sometimes, even being with me. You know, I'm like, dude, chill, chill. Yeah. And that's, I'm talking to me, you know. Yeah. So that's yeah that's that's that is that is so important to me because I, I, that's what I didn't do before and I got high and my recovery was miserable I wasn't happy and, and I'm like you I, I when you talk about you know get the sads I don't get depressed you know and and I have one sponsee that I work with I have about ten guys that I sponsor in Narcotics Anonymous and one of them he's he's just he's very you would love, love him he's just very enlightened and very um, you know esoterical and you know he's um but he's like i refuse to have a bad day i refuse to have a bad day i'm not going to allow a bad moment to, to ruin my day he said because i never know what i'm going to miss in 20 minutes that i'm going to miss yeah I don't that's miss true whatever it is you know and and so i try to and i try to do that as much as i can um and you're right it's hard yeah you know? it can be i mean what help what's helped me is paying attention to smaller things instead of bigger things when i look at bigger th- bigger things that can be um take up my whole worldview sometimes. And so I find that when I appreciate a smaller thing, whether it's an insect or a, you know, a smell of uh, honeysuckle in the air or something, I try to let those small things fill my, fill my mind and my vision. That really does help me when I have a case of the sats, you know, uh, or that the overwhelmed kind of feeling, because I realize it's that I'm allowing myself to just open my wings too wide and try and everything's just flowing in not protecting like as you said i'm not protecting my center enough and uh when that when i get weird wore down i can't help anybody else i, I just it further depletes me when i because i i'm going to that's what i also know is that i'm it's in my nature to to help and so even if i'm weary i'll force my feet out of the bed on the ground and just get going yeah. Um, but I do know if I continue that way, I mean, when I do continue that way too long, I definitely hit a wall sometimes. I'm going to falter, most definitely. Yeah. And I want to be the best me I could be today because I mean, I'm 58. There's not much left, you know, 
the odds are only about 20 more years. So, I mean, I really want to be the best I can. Yeah. And I want to leave. There's a Rascal Flats has a song. It's like, how will they remember you? You know, and, you know, I want I want people to remember me, not what I have, but what I did. You know, yeah. what I did. And I've never I've never verbalized that, you know, because that sounds really egotistical, you know, but no, I, just, I don't think so. You know, I want to I be remembered by what I did, not what I had. Yeah. You know, or where I lived or, or you know. I, you know, I want to be remembered for being the best uncle in the world, you know, um, you know, cause I helped my partner and I helped raise my, my niece and nephew cause my sister's still out there. But so, you know, her kids are like my grandkids, you know, but they're, you know, my great nephews and yeah. I want to, I, I want to be remembered, you know, as being just the best uncle in the world, you know, so I'll do whatever I can to let those kids know that they're loved on a daily basis. Yeah. That- I, I get that, man. I mean, a couple, a few years ago, someone in our industry had passed away and, um, I read their obituary and it made me sad. I mean, there was nothing in the obituary about who they were. It was just where they worked. And I was like, man, I, I know there's only so much room, but this just made me, it made me sad. I was like, that's not, I don't, I don't even care if that's on how I'm remembered, where I, what I worked, what, what my brand was. I just, I just don't care about that kind of pedigree. I'd rather be remembered for just any of the lives I touched at all or some good memory that a person has, you know, or just, just tell people what I liked and what I did, you know, what I wanted to do and how I maybe um, affected them in some positive way. I just, to me is a better legacy than just having a great pedigree. It's funny, and you and you make so much money branding other people. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll be honest with you. The truth is, and I think a lot of people know this, is that I'm probably the worst person to have ever gotten into marketing and advertising. Because the truth, I mean, I'm like, I just, I, I almost can't stand it, but I do it. And it's the strangest thing, and I think it makes me better at it. But at the same time, I just don't ever buy it fully because I know what it really is. It's just the strangest animal. I don't know. It's a catch 22, I guess, you know, it's what I, what I was trained to do and it's what I'm able to do. So I mean, even this podcast is kind of a result of that. It was like, okay, what if I take those same skills and just point them in another direction? direction. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And that's, and, and, and that's what I need to make sure that, that whenever people come in and, and they ask me for help, that it's not just it, when, when someone calls me, you call me, you say, Scotty, I've got, um, a friend of mine whose son needs to go to treatment. Well, I am invested in the relationship with you and in the, in the relationship with that family forever. You know, I make sure that the family has the services they need while their while their kids in treatment, or if you know your wife goes to treatment, I make sure that that you and I stay connected the whole time that that person's in treatment to where you're getting what you need. So when they come out, because if, if if you put if we put an addict or an alcoholic into treatment and we don't try to fix the house, they're coming back into a bar. In the right. same environment, you know, you right. got addiction is a family problem. Mm-hmm. It is everybody. So I can't, I can't go to treatment and just, and just throw somebody back into the same situation that it was in. So as a social worker and as, 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 as a helper, I make sure that the family gets what they need. So when that, when that client comes out of treatment, there's a plan of action, a cohesive plan of action for not only the ther- the, the client, but the whole family, the kids, yes. everybody. You just nailed something that it's not not just with addiction, but with so many things. And I've seen this firsthand where 
there's a, a you'll see children having the same problems like the same behavioral issues psychological issues depression anxiety you name it violent tendencies and then you know with like a chain reaction then the next one has the same problems and then the next one and what I have watched happen over and over again is these kids are sent off from doctor to doctor to medication to medication, program to program. And every time they get out of the hospital, they go right back into the same home. And then they're right back again with more compounded problems. And sure. it's like at some point, and I, I've, you know, sometimes it's not my place. But other times when I can, I'm like, can can you not see that the the ground that they're growing in is literally what is creating this? The environment that they're coming back to is not changed. You know, they're getting wow. better when they're when they're in a, when they're in the hospital. They're they're do better, and everybody's like, oh, they're doing so much better. And then back home, the cycle starts all over again, and they're right back in the hospital. I'm like. Yeah, you gotta look at the home. I mean, why is no one looking at the home? You know, I get I get kind of frustrated with it because I I watch these kids heading down a path that you can't pull them out of. You know what I mean? Because you just know the home's not changing. Well, yeah, and 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 you take them out, you give them some knowledge and awareness, and then they go back to the home, try to make some changes, but there's no knowledge and awareness on their part the people that are still in the home right. so that's where i come in as a as a as a outreach coordinator and make sure that the, the whole the whole unit you know gets what they need now do they take it all the time most definitely not but it's there yeah you know i make sure i make sure that it's there you know as much as they're able to receive some of that stuff you know so that's that's just i know that that i had to change everything about my whole life whenever i got clean I haven't played tennis since then. I really? just told that about no, no, and I just I needed to just I needed to change everything. I needed to change everything about my life. You know, um, I mean, my childhood friends, of course, are still friends, but you know, I don't go around people that use. I don't I don't go hang out in bars. You know, I don't I don't go around people that use drugs or alcohol. It's just not you know. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I mean, ball headed people don't go get a haircut. You know? <laughs> Man, you, that's right. You do it, you know. Diabetics pretty much stay out of candy stores. So, you know, I just try my best to surround myself with, with, with people that have my best interests at heart. Yeah, you know? I think you're right. I mean, I that's something, gosh, I mean, I'm still learning that even at my age. I mean, I'm 46. So it's like, hey, I'm just beginning to identify and voice the things that I know aren't good for me. You know, that's like a lifetime. It's like, man, it takes this long to finally get to the point where you're like, hey, it's obviously not good for me to be in XYZ scenario or situation. And I have a choice to not be in those situations or at the very least, at least voice my intent. You know what I mean? Like to go, Hey, it's even in a working situation, an environment where you're going to look, this working environment is not good for me to do the best job I can do, I need to be let someone be aware of that. That this is not going to be the best me if I'm in this situation. Sure, and, and it's it is up to me to find that solution. It's my responsibility because it's my spirit. You know, yeah. you're not responsible for my spirit, um, and that's one thing I protect on a daily here. I don't, and, and I tell people in meetings all the time, and and I get flat for it. And sometimes there'll be 30, 40 people in a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. I said, you can all go get high today. I don't care. I'm not. I'm here for me. You know, 
I don't want anyone to get high today, but I can tell you one thing. It's not going to be me. You know, um, people are like, oh, my God. I'm like, but that's on you, bro. Not on me. I'm doing I'm doing what I need to do every day to protect my recovery. You know, and, and, and I do that. And, and being able to help other people feeds that spirit as well because it's not about ego. You know, i got to make sure there's a fine line there. You know, am I doing what I do because of ego? Do I want people to see, oh, Scotty's doing this and Scotty's doing that? <laughs> yeah. But no. I get but that too. Line, though, i got to be really careful. I've got to be really, really careful because everybody knows what I do for a living. So sometimes I get, I, I get nervous to talk about what I do because people are thinking, oh, he's just trying to drum up business. I'm trying to save lives. Right. That's you it. can do both. Most definitely. You know, Most definitely. one is a result of the other. Most definitely, yeah. And, and sometimes our places are not appropriate for some people. And I will make sure that they find the place that they need. You know, it's not always with us, you know, but we have nine different treatment centers. So we can pretty much fit whatever niche that you need. If you want a, a spa like resort, we've got one of those. If you want a 150 acres of the horses, we've got that. You want a desert oasis in Vegas? I've got that. You want to get on the water in Laguna Beach, California? We've got that. You know, so they're all over the place. You know, so we can uh, we can meet the needs whoever calls. Yeah, you know, that's just what I'm so grateful for. It's not just one treatment center. It's not just one cookie cutter because there's nothing cookie cutter about what we do. Nothing cookie cutter about what we do. Um, and we're also in order what 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 makes me believe in this place because we're dual diagnosis. So if somebody comes in with a mental illness, we can treat them. Okay. We treat substance abuse and mental illness together. So because with one comes the other, because a lot of times people have a diagnosis of mental illness, but they're just suffering from addiction, mm. you know, and so we're able to help them get a correct diagnosis. You know, we also do the uh, DNA pharmacogenetic DNA testing. So what it does, it, uh, we take a little swab of the inside of your mouth and it lets us know what medications absorb better into your system than others. So if you've been on, let's say, Zola for the last 10 years and it's not done you any different, well, there's a reason. Because it doesn't absorb into your system like other medications, so let's change something up. That's interesting. I didn't know you did that. Get some instant relief. Get some instant relief. So we're going to get you on a medication that we know is going to be beneficial to you in a short time. So we're, we're we're able to watch that process unfold and happen. And if any other decisions need to be made, they'll be made at that point. So yeah, it really helps us. It really helps. Um, it really helps treat the disease of mental illness and addiction together. It really does. And we also a, have really cool um, early sense detox beds to where like when people it's if, if you've ever worked in detox or, or treatment, no one ever sleeps ever. They're like, oh, I didn't sleep at all. It's not blah, blah. Well, there's there's senses under this bed. It lets us know every time you move, every time you fart, every time. <laughs> you breathe. So they're like, oh, I didn't sleep at all. We're like, actually, you slept six hours. You did good. You know? Yeah. So, we don't have to wake people up as much. You know, we can really let them let them rest and not, not so much. We don't have to take their vitals every two hours. You know, right. um, we're able to kind of monitor, you know, them in detox and give them a lot more, you know, a little rest, restful you know, detox. So it sounds so uh, organized. And I, I guess as I'm listening to you describe that, I'm just trying to imagine this like someone being at their rock bottom how do you how do they even begin to connect with you know your organization i mean where does that start is it a family member is it a friend i mean because it's whoever like um, i get i get calls from family members i get calls from detox units from er's you know someone calls me and i'm their point of contact i start the process mm. you know 
Um, don't just call into the 800 number. Call me because when you call me, you've got me all the way through. Gotcha. Okay. You, know, um, you call me. I, I put that information into our inside team. We run their benefits. We have we'll have a, um, a plan of action within 90 minutes. Um, and usually, if I get a call before noon, I can get you on a plane that day. Wow. I'll come. I'll come pick you up. I'll bring you to the airport. I'll drop your ass off. You know. Um, I've chased guys through the urinals in the bathrooms to try to keep them in, in, in the airport before. I've chased people through bushes up in De Quincy, you know, <laughs> pulling them out of, out of sticker bushes. I'm like, boy, you getting in my car. Isn't that in wild, man? I mean, I just I, that's why I asked that question because I was. It all sounded so. Um, you know, your imagination can only paint things so far until you hit the reality wall. And yeah. what you just described is probably more like what I was. That's where I was curious yeah. about. It well, couldn't be one. as clean and, and, and smooth a way as uh, what, what it sounded I'll, like. I'll chase, I'll chase them, too. I had one guy. He was like, he he had to go to the bathroom. I said, let's go. He said, well, what, do you, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm not looking at nothing, but you're not getting out of my eyesight. Boy, you have hauled ass on me three times. You're not going anywhere. I took the battery out of his phone and told him his phone died. I mean, you know, I did everything. You know, Because yeah. his old lady, was his wife was around the corner waiting for him. You know? Gotcha. He was ducking out of the airport. I'm like, you're not going anywhere anywhere then i had one of them she actually she just she just died recently but it got her from lake charles to dallas they went to pick her up in dallas she thought the meth police were after her, so she was on the interstate running down the interstate in a little mini skirt you know so they finally got her and they got her to treatment you know and she was clean for a little bit but she actually just recently overdosed a couple months ago so which is sad yeah you know, but yeah but 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 I am the point of contact. I'm the person, and I'm going to get you some information to put up and everything. Yeah, please give that to you. But you know, just give me a call. Uh, my phone's on 24 hours a day. Trust me, 24 hours a day. I have a different ringer for that phone than my personal phone, so I know you know it's somebody that needs help. Um, but yeah, we're 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 a 24 seven organization, and um, you know we can admit anywhere. We we take all commercial insurances, private pay. We have private pay specials going on a lot. So so people that that don't have insurance that are not, you know, self-insured or whatever can still afford to get care. Yeah. Know? Cause I know still, that's an issue for a lot of people. I mean, the financing. Yeah. And, and the thing is also when someone calls us and if there's some financial issues, we, we work with people, you know, we're able to set up payment plans and kind of do that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, if, if, at the beginning of the year, it's usually rough because people, you know, they've met their deduct. They haven't met their deductible yet, but we, we help people out. We work with them. Yeah. You know, figure it out one way or we, another. Yeah, we really don't want finances. You know, you know, it's not free. But, no, I understand. Uh, but it, there's ways because, into it and make it work. Like every, it's not just a, uh, you know, stone cold. No, not at all. Not at all. No, not at all. And, and, and we accept all commercial insurance. So commercial, I mean, insurance, just because these places look kind of fancy insurance pays for wherever you go, you know, it doesn't matter whether you go to a hole in the wall in you know Pachatula, alabama or you go to one of our places you know it's the same insurance pays you know right so, yeah so yeah and, and, I, and i'm grateful that the, the the culture of our organization is about helping people kind of what you said earlier you know yeah. not about you know it's of course it's about the dollar but it's it's really the culture of our of, of our company is more about helping helping other people so how i mean i'm curious about this how did that change your recovery? I mean, you know, there were a lot of years where you were uh, in recovery and relapse, and and you said that earlier. But then at some point, you've started working with this organization. How has working with the organization plus being, you know, in recovery helped you? I mean, has it helped you in that regard? Well, A, it helped me identify with the clients. 
Um, it helps me whenever I'm talking to families. It helps that process of making them feel more a little more comfortable about who they're talking to because they're not talking to a, a marketing guy. Because right. I'm a social worker. I'm not a marketing guy. Gotcha. Um, I've never done anything yeah. like this before in my life. I'm not a salesperson at all. Um, but it's also enabled me um, to look to look at myself and to look at, you know, why I do what I do. And it helps me keep my ego in check and to make sure, you know, that I am coming up, coming from a place of love, care and compassion. You know, it, it helps keep me kind of even keeled when it, when, when talking about the spiritual pro, you know, the spiritual principles of, of the 12 steps, you know, our, our compassion and honesty and integrity and humility. You know, I don't talk about what I do. I don't get on Facebook and say, Oh, look at what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't do is that's not humility. That's ego. You yeah. know? So I, and, and like you said earlier, I've got people around me that hold me in check yeah. and hold me accountable. And Scotty will yeah, back up a little bit, buddy, you know, yeah. getting kind of, getting kind of, getting kind of heavy footed there. Kind of what you were talking about, you know, you just, you know, run that, run that gas out of that car, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but it's really enabled me. It's, it's, it's enabled me to help people and see the results and it helps it helps keep me clean because I see so many people in the ditches. I don't want to be in the ditch. I don't want I don't want to get clean again. I don't want to get clean again. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I have another one in me. So seeing all these people and hearing all these stories and, and working with all these people that are just so desperate um, reminds me of where I where I came from. Yeah. And it keeps me humble. I get that. That makes a lot of sense, man. It's like it kinda of reminds me of uh uh, one of my clients many years ago said something to the effect of uh, don't don't trust a uh, skinny chef or a skinny exactly. cook, you know, and I mean, I, I, I get what they mean in, in listening to what you say. It's like, you know, you're coming from the place yeah. that the people that you want to help are coming from as well. I mean, you you've been there. It makes a huge difference. I'm sure that probably helps in a way doing your job when they see you, they, they get it. You've, you've been there, you know, you've been through all these different aspects. You can't be tricked either. <laughs> I imagine you probably well, I can't be manipulated. Yeah, you, no, you know the really, tricks. That one guy that was running from me said, "Dude, you can't you can't lie to a junkie. You can't you can't you can't manipulate a junkie. So just stop. Just surrender. It's going to be okay. It's, you're going to be okay. I promise. Yeah, you're going to be okay. Your tattoos don't don't match, and everything is spelled wrong. But you're going to be okay. You know. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> You got, other, all the way up. you got I mean, other problems besides that, yeah. right? Yeah, I got you. Yeah. You went to state prison. You didn't go to federal prison. You know, you did. <laughs> right. Yeah. You've probably seen it all, man. I can imagine. I mean, you know, but and that what I mean by all, too, is sometimes addiction hides in some of the upper echelons of society. You know, I mean, we see it in and we don't know that we're seeing it sometimes, you know. Sometimes for me, it's a feeling. You just get a feeling. It's like something's yeah. just awry. Um, when, that's when someone kind of throws my name out there. You know, here, here's my card. Here's Scotty's card. And I'm, and I'm going to get you some. I'm going to get back into town. I'm going to, I'll come find you and, and, you know, give you some, some cards and some stuff to hand out. If, you know, if you know people that are, you know, that need and just, all you have to say, Hey, call this guy. He can help, you know, no, no questions asked, you know, no offense taken. Yeah. You know, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. I, I'm I'm so glad we got to talk. Honestly, yeah, me too. I, I me didn't too. know honestly that I didn't know any of this. I didn't know anything about it. I mean, this is uh, your honesty and 
willingness to share. I, I just appreciate that so much. I think that's what helps people the most is showing our true face. You know, you mentioned the ego a few times, and I get that. I mean, there's just something I, I don't bring up on this show a lot, but it's something that I've been thinking about lately is that it's so easy to think that the helpers are insulated in this world. You know, they're insulated from the sufferings of everybody else. And and I, cause I've been guilty of that. I've looked at people who are out there helping and go, well, they're insulated though. And it creates a platform for them to be able to help. But in the times that I've been uh, privileged to be a helper, I know that I'm not insulated. And then I think, Oh, well then that's just not the truth. I mean, everybody just decides to help, you know, well, what, people, people say, Oh, they chose that line of work. Well, not necessarily that line that the work that I do chose me. Yeah. I didn't it. You know, right. I was, I, this was my destiny, which whatever that means, but you know, this is what I was meant to do. I don't know how to do, I don't know how to do anything else. I'm sure I can learn, but this stuff comes natural. You know, it's just, that's, that's the way I was raised. You know, I was raised to help other people and I was, I was raised to be kind and courteous and, and loving, you know, and I didn't do that for so many years. I, I didn't do it to me. You know, so I couldn't give it to somebody else if I wasn't doing it for myself, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, listening to what you said about your, your early childhood, I mean, you were just getting all the the wrong messages in the right places, you know? And my mom made amends to me later on. She said, I didn't know what else to do. She was raised in a horrible alcoholic home. And she said, I mean, I, her exact words were, I could have raised you in the fucking and the cussing and the fighting, or I, or I could take you to church. She said, I chose church. I didn't know that I was doing just as much damage, you know, right. and she made amends for that later. You know, she's like, I didn't know. I thought I was doing, you know, I was just doing the opposite of what I, the way I was raised, yeah. you, know, so, you know, and no fault of her own, you know? Right. That's hard to accept sometimes that, uh, people are doing the best they can do. And, uh, that's hard to accept. I just find it hard to accept. I mean, especially parents, they're doing that. Some of them are doing their level best and it may seem like just horrible shit to the kid who, that they're, that, that is on the receiving end, but the kid has no idea that that parent might actually just be doing what they think is best. They just didn't know. They just don't yeah. know what to do. I mean, my niece, she's a phenomenal parent. She's got a five year old and a nine and a half month old. She doesn't know what she's doing. And she'll tell me, she's like, I'm a horrible mother. I said, no, you're not. You're doing exactly what you need to do right now. Those kids are fine. You know, yep. they're fine. My wife they're- and I talk about this all the time, that no matter what we do, you know, we, we try to do the best we can. And we know that at some point our children are going to grow up and they're going to reminisce. And some of the things that we thought were so great, they're not going to like so much. They're going to look back and say, yeah, dad used to do this and I hated it. And you don't know. You just yeah. don't know, you know? No, it's good. Yeah, everybody. And and I don't, you know, I, I, have, I, have, I have a great relationship with my mother. You know, she's got dementia. She's getting older. And, you know, she doesn't get out too, too much. But, you know, we have a great relationship, you know. So, and That's I'm just wonderful, man. What we have. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. That actually is really good news. I'm happy. I know it. I'm hey there, good news listener. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed producing it. Now, it's time for the Fishing for Goodies segment, where I turn my interviewer role over to the Good News Fishbowl. Longtime listeners know that the Fishbowl contains over 400 unique questions, many seated by you, the listeners. Did you know that you could submit unique questions to the Fishbowl? That's right. Just call the Good News Hotline 
at 802-459-1668 to have your question added. You can also visit findthegood.news and send me an email. Now, let's take that dive into the fishbowl. So look, you did listen to the show, and this is some a part of the show, this fishbowl right here. There's 400 questions in here, but I'm going to draw three of them out, okay. and then we'll just talk about them. I don't know what it is, so no, uh, no planning. I'm just going to dive deep and see what comes out. You game? Let's get it. All right. Okay, this is good. What part of your routine do you always try to skip if you can? That's pretty general, your routine. That could be anything. Do I try to skip? Yeah. Is there a step you try to skip? Or something you'd rather not do that you you do? (laughs) I do the same thing every morning, though. I get up every morning and I read the Just for Today, which is a meditation out of the Narcotics Anonymous Just for Today book. And I send out a gratitude list to all the people that I sponsor. And I guess there's uh, there's nothing I don't do in the morning that I, I like. I'm You're in it, huh? I am. No, I'm so ADD. I can't skip anything. I got you. Like well, that kind of helps. It has to go. Yeah, it has. It has to go as planned, or my day's kind of wacky, wacky. So I don't know that I skip. I mean, I don't brush my teeth till I get in the shower, but yeah, I don't think I skip anything. That's actually really awesome. Because yeah, I, I mean, I I've broken so many things. I'll get in a pattern, and then I just I feel it changing almost. Like my routine, I can feel the need to let the routine go. Like that happens to me a lot. Where I'll be on a track for even like six months of doing something, and then I just start to get this feeling like, okay. It's time to change the routine. And I've and then I'll even almost struggle with changing the routine and I feel guilty that I've changed the routine. I've done that for years and I always I know it's gonna happen. Like when it, when I get the feeling I I've learned to allow it to happen. But at Ooh. the same time I also know there's gonna be that waiting zone where I'm transitioning from one routine to another and I I'm feeling almost like um I let myself down. For changing the routine. It's a strange thing, but I'm aware that it's happening. But also, I've done the same thing for the last seven years. So I'm, I have a fear of change. I'm scared if I change that routine, something's not gonna, something's gonna happen. I get that. I get it. Yeah, you've got a formula and you know it works and it's, it's consistent. And so, yeah. Consistency for me is good. It's key. Now that makes sense. I get that too. I mean, I kind of feel that way with certain things. I would say maybe it's maybe maybe they're not so much um, rituals and things like that. But like um, one thing I I never do. I never make my kids. I tell them good night and kiss them. Make sure they they know that I'm putting them down. Even my oldest son, I'm like go and check on him before I go to bed. It's like I want to put eyes. Tell them I love them. That's and and that may not seem like a big thing, but it is to me. I'm like no, this is. You know, people die in their sleep, but I don't want to be, have went to bed without letting them know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I get it. What's the next one? Okay, next one. What was the first thing you remember buying with your own money? With my own money, I bought a music box from Bargers for my mother 
for Christmas. It was when Barger's was on. Oh, Magnolia. I know Barger's, yeah. Barger's drugstore, yeah. It's, I bought I bought my mother a music box, uh, uh, and I, I don't I don't she may still have it. I don't know. But I bought her a music box from Barger's. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. How old were you? Oh, because I used to charge. I used to buy stuff for them and charge it to them all the time. Um, that's <laughs> stuff like that. But I remember I, I might have been fourteen. 13 or 14. Wow. That's yeah. nice. That's so sweet. I mean, you were like, hey, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I guess she realized I didn't charge it. I don't know. I, I didn't. We just charged everything. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things. And they didn't do it this year. But uh, in the years past, my son's school does like a Christmas shopping day. And there's certain gifts that they'll have out. And they let the kids buy for their parents and their brothers and sisters. And for a oh, few years cool. there, oh, I loved it. It was my favorite time as my son was you know would bring these little gifts home from school and it was always so sweet because you could tell he like picked it out for each person he loved seeing us open them and explaining why he picked that out for us we we loved that i mean it 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 was a good exercise i thought i don't know if they're going to keep doing it but i always loved that that's good in autonomy as well yeah 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 all right this is the last question you can spend a day in the life of anyone in history who is it Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks. Interesting. Rosa Parks. Wow, man. Now, why is that? Just elaborate a little. I, wanna, I, I would love to know what she was thinking and the bravery and the just the, the, the liberation that she had to have felt in that demise, you know, and, and not knowing. Like, we never know on any given day what our actions, how they're going to affect anyone the next day. And her actions that one day affected so many people. Yeah. And and I just think that the bravery that she exhibited on that day was um, extraordinary. Yeah. Just absolutely extraordinary. And I don't know why she came to my mind, but that's. It's a good answer. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good person to think about, especially when we see systems that are oppressive to people and they don't seem like they're changing you know it's so easy to just live in fear or go with the flow and just let let time sort of truck on but to actually just in that moment say no enough is enough i'm just going to do this thing but like your son what he just went through recently you know that was ridiculous you know it's the same thing that happened to me in 1981 the exact same thing the exact same thing you know and so I didn't have that bravery to stand up. You know, I wasn't that brave to stand up and and, and take action like she did, you know, Um, and he's going to find his voice one day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the world is changing. I mean, it's pain changing painfully, but uh, we do live in a time where we can see a lot more. I think it's a lot more public. Uh, We're having conversations. I know people keep talking about cancel culture and I know recently someone said, it's not cancel culture, you know, it's consequence culture. And I, I agree with that. I think that's what we're seeing is, we're living in consequence culture, you know, yeah. Yeah. this is we're we're calling things out more. Yeah. That's great. That- I, got, I got one last question for you okay. and then I'll let you go. This is the last question I usually ask everybody. And it's perfect for a guy with a gratitude list. Did anything good happen today? It did happen today. I was able to get a new hair product because I left mine at home. I was able to jump my car. I've never jumped a car before in my life. Um, I was able to wave at people with my hood up 
and let people know that I actually jumped in my car. Um, yeah, that's what I did. Hey, that's good news, man. Anytime you can do something that you didn't do before, I know that feeling feels good. I'd rather get married than do half of that. <laughs> I remember the first time I fixed a vehicle with no help and just figuring it out in one of them Chilton's automotive books. I felt pretty good. Oh, so yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not built like that. I'm good. <laughs> I, you know why? Hey, it's a what's it's a necessities the mother of invention. I was broke and couldn't afford to pay anybody, and I needed that vehicle to get to work. And I was like, I got to figure it out. I have no choice to but well, to no, do AAA, this. They were going to be two hours. Triple A. So I said, okay, let me just do it myself. You got so, it. Yeah. yeah, we did it. Yeah, that's, that's good, all. man. Well, thanks for having me. I really I, this was great. I'm glad we got to reconnect and. um if you'll send me some links, you know, I can put them in the uh, in the show notes. But if you want to tell people right now the best way to get in touch with your organization, that'd be great. Okay, just give me a call at 337-352-1527, um, and you're going to have some information as well for promo. Um, but, yeah, just give me a call. Um, we'll have a, a – you know, it, it'll be done. I'll, I'll make sure that they get what they need. Excellent. That's, that's a straight line right there. I like that. Appreciate it, Scotty. Okay, we're – Thanks for listening to my conversation with Scotty Higginbotham with American Addiction Centers. To learn more about American Addiction Centers, please visit the links in the show notes. If you found something of use in this conversation, consider visiting findthegood.news donate, where you can help me continue this good news mission from the Louisiana Gulf Coast. I thank you for pressing play and for seeking out good news.